for us, uh, he, he took us a, a break a little bit to talk about that. We're going to be back in Galatians. We're kind of diving a little deeper here. If you're a note taker, uh, we're going to be in uh, Galatians 5, uh, 22 through 23. Just those, those verses right there talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, uh, so if you forgot about that, we've, we're covering it in sections of three. So we had three before, three today three next week, and then I'll cover all nine, and then we'll finish out the book of Galatians over the next couple of weeks, and so you can look forward to, uh, to moving on from the book of Galatians. I don't know about you, I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, I've enjoyed studying it. I hope, I hope that you on your own have been reading and studying on your own as well, and I hope that's been an enjoyment to you. Uh, but as you're turning there uh, to those couple of verses, I'm going to have them on the slide uh, in just here a minute. And then also, if you're a note taker, we'll go through this here in just a minute. But uh, this is what the Word of God says. It says, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And and just like anything else, I I began this series, or this series within a series, right? I guess it's it's one of those. Uh, I began this mini-series with talking about spring and gardening. Well, uh, we like sweet corn. We don't plant sweet corn because our garden is too small. And, and what I understand is that you need multiple rows of sweet corn for them to uh, propagate uh, one another well and stuff like that. So we like sweet corn, but we don't plant sweet corn. We like popcorn, but we don't plant popcorn either. Now, some of you who are in this room do plant popcorn. Some of you who are in this room do plant sweet corn. And so sometimes you give us the fruit of your labor. But my point with these two things are, if you plant popcorn, will you get sweet corn? No, of course not, right? And vice versa. If you plant sweet corn, will you get popcorn? Maybe I just said that. If you plant popcorn, will you get sweet corn, sweet corn, popcorn? No. And each of those kernels are different. And my kids, as maybe you were as a young kid, you might think, okay, I've got this can of, I got this can of corn and I want popcorn. What I'll do is I'll just pour this can of corn out. I'll let it dry out. I'll stick it in the microwave. And then pretty soon I'll have, I'll have fluffy white kernels. And we, as adults, we think, oh, that's cute. How... But it makes sense as a kid because you don't know the difference between the different kinds of corn. You don't know the difference kind of the different kind of seed, right? But as adults, we look at them and we think, how foolish is that? There's a different kind of seed that's going to produce a different kind of thing. Well, absolutely. That's what Paul's talking about here too. So he's talking about the fruit of the spirit. So it's the same kind of concept. Garbage in, garbage out, spirit in, spirit out, right? And so think about that as we're going through today's message and then the next message as we talk about these nine fruits of the spirit. Really, what I talked about at the beginning, right? It's that, it's that 5% of the 90% God, right? Just like a regular garden. I, I do the 5% of planting the seeds that I want to grow. God does the rest of giving the sunlight and the rain and the nutrients from the soil and all those kind of other things, right? But I do, we do, have to do some work where we're trying to ingest the right kind of seed so that God can bring the growth, okay? So let's pray, and then we'll jump into today's message. O great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you are the Holy One of Israel. We gather together today to praise your name and to celebrate your glory and to marvel at your majesty. Father, we also come together today to confess our need for your forgiveness, the need of your grace and your mercy, and the need for your spirit. We need it to take possession of us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for securing for us a place in your kingdom. Thank you for your sacrificial atonement that brought about our redemption. We ask you to be with us now. As we continue in Galatians 5, make your word take shape in our hearts. 
grow, change, renew, manifest in us the fruit of which is spoken here today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So again, looking at this, the first three there, uh, love, joy, peace, that was last two weeks ago. And so today, uh, patience, kindness, goodness, right? So patience, kindness, goodness. Let us move then to the first one as we talk about patience. Now, another word for this is forbearance. So the, the definition of this is something like a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune and without complaint or irritation. Sounds just like all of us, doesn't it? Uh, let me give you some inside baseball. Uh, this isn't something, please don't, okay. I'm telling you this to relate to you and to tell you a story. I'm not telling you this so that you come up to me afterwards and you know, pat me on the back or stroke my head or, or anything like that, okay? Uh, we had water damage in the parsonage, so we're staying with my parents. And so after they get sick of us, then we'll stay with her parents for a little bit. But the, but the bottom line is the bottom of the water heater rusted out, apparently. And so, so we had, a, we had a, a plumber come in and take that out because my wife wouldn't let me touch it. And then we had a, a, a water remediation and a mold remediation come, team come in and take that out because my wife wouldn't let me touch it. And so, uh, so, so we're having all that things done, and that's being dried out right now. And so before we move back in there, you know, I can say that this whole time, both Elisa and myself have been models of a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation and misfortune without complaint or irritation. Do you believe that? You shouldn't. You shouldn't. So patience is this. This is what patience is. is that's the definition of it. But there's ways that we can have patience in various things. So the first one I want to talk, if you're a note, uh, note taker, is uh, patience in the face of temptation. Okay? We have been promised in the face of temptation a release from temptation. I don't know if you know that or not. Maybe this is news to you. But scripture tells us in 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. He also tells us so not only does he know how to rescue you, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now, this can be very flippant if you say to somebody without any thought or understanding of what they're going through. So don't just go around with your Bible gun, six shooter, you're like shooting off bullets at people and expecting for that to do the work, okay? Now, God's word is true, absolutely, but we have to be wise with how we deliver that to people in love, okay? Amen? But 1 Corinthians does tell us no temptation has overtaken us that is not common to man, meaning Jesus understands, God understands where we're all at all the time, and so we're, we are, in essence, without excuse to fall into these things. But here's the other part of that. God is faithful. So this is the same text, right? No temptation common, uh, that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And we might think, yeah, right. It says it here. But he also says, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. And so that's what I mean. We can have patience in temptation knowing that we have been given a release from temptation. Not only does he understand that we are being tempted in the way we're being tempted, and praise God that he understands that, but also it says right here, he has given us a way out of that. And that's why Paul says, so walk in step with the spirit. That's how you get out of that because the flesh and the spirit are waging war with one another and you're going to give in to the one by, uh, think of it this way. If you have two dogs, okay, two dogs, and you feed one, steak every day and you don't feed the other one for weeks one is going to be stronger than the other 
One is going to be emaciated and sad and downtrodden and probably ready to attack you if you step into the cage. And the other one is going to be fat and happy and ready to work and ready to submit. Which dog are we feeding in this fight, in essence? So in temptation, but he also says not only is there release from temptation, but he says there's rewards through temptation. This is another one I think we so often forget. I know I do. I didn't, when I woke up and I saw the, the bathroom full of whatever, I didn't think to myself, oh, yay, I wonder what reward I'll receive today. That's not my knee-jerk reaction. It's probably not yours, but he tells us James 1:12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So in essence, what he's saying is, is the fight is worth it. The victory is your reward. The crown is what you're given. Instead, when you fall to temptation because you don't take the way out or because you're not trusting the Lord, instead of the crown, we receive guilt and shame and sorrow, right? I mean, that's, that's what I receive when I fall to the temptation and I don't find the victory. But the promise of the king is that there is release and there is rewards. The lie of the serpent is that he doesn't understand and there's no way out and we're just going to continue to fail and oh, woe is me, I'm no good. That's the lie of Satan. So first way we experience patience, or we can try to experience patience, is in temptation from release and from the rewards. The second, and now I know you might say, well, Pastor, you're mincing words. Well, it's my sermon, so, you know. Uh, so troubles, so not only temptation, but also troubles. And I'm going to call them two different things. I think there's temptation, and I think there's trials or troubles that we go through, right? It's not a, for example, this water heater thing is not a temptation to me. I, I wasn't tempted to bust the water heater. I wasn't tempted. Now, I was tempted to rip it out of there, and I was tempted to get the mold out of there. So that was, I guess, a temptation for me. And my, my wife uh, told me not to do it. It was my temptation to go against her wishes and her desires and just do it anyway. That was maybe a temptation out of my own pride, my own ego. And I was justifying it spiritually by saying, well, I'm taking care of my household, my wife, you know, super spiritual pastor guy doing the right thing to make his wife cry because he's not listening to her, right? That's how we're supposed to lead. Uh, but and so in troubles too, right? So yes, so this is a time of trouble, not necessarily temptation. We all experience troubles of various kinds. We can have health troubles. We can have relational troubles. We can have spiritual troubles. We can have all kinds of different, you know, um, troubles in those kind of way. But we must seek to cultivate during those times patience, an attitude of patience. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. The only way to experience patience in times of trouble is to cultivate this attitude of patience, which we can only do by, firstly, constant prayer. We have to remember to keep talking to God. We can't give that up. This attitude of patience that we're seeking to foster will end up be having an Affect, with an A, an affect of patience. Hebrews 10, 36. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We have to understand that he has promised us, right? That when we endure these things, there is a reward for us. And so therefore, that should be a part of what drives us to then constantly say, look, I might not be able to see the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel, right? I might not be able to perceive that, but I know it's there because I know his word is true. And brother or sister, that might mean that the light at the end of the tunnel is the actual light at the end of the tunnel. Like it might mean death and then going to heaven. That might be the light at the end of the temple. So I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody's troubles or anybody's trials or anything like that, but I'm telling you, his word is still true. And so there is a reward at the end of those things. And so this effect that it has is that we would receive that which is 
promised, and then there's the answer in this patience too. God always answers prayer, always, 100% of the time. For any, now, let, let me clarify that. He always answers prayer for those who are his, right? The pagan will pray to God and not receive any answer outside of, Lord Jesus, please save me, I, I give my help. Then that's the first answer to prayer that they will receive. For, for those of us who are Christians, he always answers our prayer, absolutely every single time. But just like any father, he might say no. And we need to understand that's an answer. It might not be the answer you always want, but it is an answer. The answer might be no. And so we have this answer in prayer. Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. And we can say the same thing because we have to remember, if we're in Christ, Christ is in us. We're adopted child of the, of, of the, the King Most High. We are brother with Christ. It is, when he looks at us, he sees Christ. Tell me a time that Jesus prayed and God was like, I'm not listening to that. That's the same spirit that lives in us. So, so, so Christian, if you get nothing else out of this sermon, I hope this is it. When you are tempted to think that God is not listening to your prayers, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Because if you have the spirit of Christ in you, it is as if Christ is praying to the Father and let that be an encouragement to you. Show me a time in scripture when Jesus prayed and his prayer was not answered and you're not going to find one. Now for us, because we are not Jesus and because we are not wise as he is, because sometimes James tells us we ask for wrong purposes to spend on our own passions, our own pleasures, or we think we need something, it's really a want, it's not a need, that sometimes God's answer is no. And that's where the work of patience takes place. James 1.4 says, and let the steadfastness have its full effect, meaning the perfection of that, that you may, and then he uses that word again, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You may not think this, but when you are stuck on 131 in, in you know, bumper to bumper traffic for miles as you have a appointment that you have to make to, that God is actually doing something, God is actually perfecting you in that. if you let them. And so we ought to wait in that patience too. Being patient, therefore, brother, this is James 5, James also. It's interesting to me that James, the brother of Jesus, has so much to say about being patient too. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains also. And that's what I mean so often sometimes. And so here's a challenge that I have for you if, if you have a small group that you're a part of. Or here's a challenge I have for you if you're not part of a small group to talk with somebody later on today, right? I mean, chances are probably, probably on a day like today, uh, there's a lot of mothers that are going to go be celebrated somewhere, whether you're going to grandma's house because she's cooking or you're going to an in-laws or going to whatever. Somewhere, somewhere, you're probably going to celebrate that sometime later today. If not, then that's okay too. You, 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 can, you can find another person to, to do this with. But talk with them about a time that you have uh, been waiting patiently through a trial and it actually ended in a way that you did not expect and you could really see God's hand in that. Because I have my own stories that I could share with you, and I'm sure in a room this size, we have plenty of other ones that you could share with me too. What a way to encourage one another. This waiting is not in vain. This wait in itself can sometimes be the trial. And so I want us to first, as we look at, tem uh, as we look at 
patience. We have to understand that he is building in us. We are building in ourselves this fruit of patience in the face of temptation and in the face of trouble. And he gives us the means to do that in Christ Jesus. Okay? So moving on from this first head now to the second, of course, we talked about earlier, is kindness. Kindness. Another word for this is benevolence. Okay? Um, I'm not great with words all the time. I thought benevolent was actually a bad word. You know, um, Sleeping Beauty, the bad queen, I think her name is Maleficent. I thought those were like almost the same things, Maleficent and benevolent. They just kind of sound similar. I never said I was edumacated. I just, I'm just willing to get up here and share the Bible with you really is all there is to it. But this idea of benevolence is to provide something beneficial for someone. And I, would, and I would maybe even add here to provide something beneficial for someone who in our interpretation doesn't deserve it. I think that's this idea of benevolence, okay? And there can be a kind of benevolence that's haughty and prideful and not so good. And then there's a the kind of benevolence that Jesus desires for us to have. And so kindness is how the ESV has, has translated this, this kindness. And so as we see the clearest description of kindness by the example of what I'm going to call the, uh, the, the personality of kindness. So this is church. Here's the kids' Sunday school question. Kids, who's the personality of kindness? And you say, that's right, Jesus. Yes. But we have to remember that it's, it's a trinity, right? So we've got to start with the Father and then go to the Son and then go to the Spirit too. So that's what I want to do. The personality of kindness, I think, is most clearly seen in the Father. Romans 11.22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. And yes, that's it. We can't put God in a box. We can't say, yeah, he's all love, all acceptance, all the time, no matter what. No, our God is also severe. He is a God who chastens those whom he loves. He is a God who will judge those. He is a God who has a standard of holiness, but he's also very kind. And so note, the, this is Romans eleven twenty two. 22, note the kindness and the severity of God, severity to, towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. That's a scary verse, isn't it? But the personality of the kindness is the Father. And we know that, because of what the Father has done. What did the Father do? He sent his Son. That's benevolence. Kindness to provide something beneficial for someone who, in your view, doesn't deserve it. And his view is absolutely true. We did not deserve Christ. But he sent Christ, and that's the second member of the Trinity. So the personality of, the, of kindness is seen in the Father, but it's also seen in the Son, Titus 3, 4 through 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Even on the cross, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why do you call me good? There's none good, right? He even told his right-hand man at the time, get behind me, Satan, right? I, I mean, this is the Jesus who came to die for you. And I don't even know about all your secret sins, all the things that you think about or, or, or whatever, the stuff that you don't share with people. And you don't know about mine, but the point is, is that the personality of kindness is seen in the Father because the Father sent the Son. 
The personality of kindness is seen in the Son because even though he was sent by the Father, he willingly chose to come, willingly took the cross. He said, nobody takes my life. I lay it down, which means he gave his life for you. And that's the personality of kindness in the Father. That's the personality of kindness in the Son. And then, of course, where am I going next? The personality of kindness is seen in the Spirit, right? Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is these things. And what we just read, Titus 3, 4 through 5, by the washing, the regeneration of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The personality of kindness is seen in the Father because he sent the Son. The personality of kindness is seen in the Son because he willingly took on our sin and paid our debt. And the personality of kindness is seen in the Spirit because he deigns to dwell with us, although we are not yet perfect. We are in the process of being perfected. He has to continuously wash us and remake us. It is him who produces the fruit, right? Is it, did it say in the text, this is the fruit of John? No, this is the fruit of the spirit because the fruit of John is damnation and struggle and death and all those other negative things because that's the flesh. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, those things that we're going to talk about. So the father sends his son that he might give us the spirit all of them for the simple purpose of having fellowship with us, which again is a kindness we do not deserve. And one can only know this kind of kindness if you know God. Otherwise, you don't have a category for it. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your own personal Lord and Savior, I want to I just share with you that you're missing out on a kindness that you cannot describe. I wish I could describe it to you, but I cannot. And so I want to introduce you to the personality of kindness in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But then there's also not only the personality, but the proof of this kindness. Now, we've kind of covered that already with what we talked about, but I want to dig in a little deeper there. Some of the proof of this kindness is seen in the Father, not just by sending the Son, but merely the fact that we exist and we are breathing air. The mere ability that we have to understand one another, to talk, communicate to one another, that we have the cognitive ability that you can seek to try to understand all these you know, passages that I'm pulling out and, and putting in here together, the very ability that we have to meet together to, to do this. This is the proof of kindness, creation itself. Genesis 1, 1 through 4, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness, and there is his proof of kindness. Why do I say that? Because there was never a time in the history of forever that God was up in heaven, wringing his hands, thinking to himself, I'm so lonely, what am I going to do? I better make man, or rest of eternity is going to be terrible. There was never a time that God ever thought that. And if you think that about yourself, you need to be humbled. Now, does God love you? Absolutely. Does he want a personal relationship with you? Absolutely. Did he do everything that he possibly can in his power to have that? Yes, he sent his son to, to, to redeem you. But does he need you? No. So he doesn't need to create us. He doesn't need to sustain us. He didn't need to communicate with us in his word. He could have just left us out there wandering in the abyss. And he did not need to redeem you. And so the proof of this kindness is seen in creation. We talked about it already, but it's, we can't not talk about it. I mean, this is the whole reason we're here. The proof of kindness is in Christ, in his redemption, in his sacrifice, so that in the coming ages, this is Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. He gives us present freedom. He gives us future hope. 
He gives us an adoption and an inheritance. He says here in the text, immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Now in church, we do an awful good job, I hope, of talking about God and of talking about Christ, and well, we should, right? But there's another proof of kindness, and do you know that it's sitting in the pew next to you? You know, the proof of his kindness is that he actually provides Christians for us. I think all of us, if we're honest, if you haven't felt this way, then, you know, God bless you, and I hope that that never changes, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that probably will, but all of us have experienced the time where we needed a brother or sister in Christ. I mean, needed that. And by God's kindness, the proof of that is sitting in the pew right next to you. That he would give us one another. It says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, it's really hard to practice the fruit of the Spirit in a vacuum. Think about that. What I mean by that is this. A vacuum is empty space. You probably know that, right? I'm not talking about the Bissell or Eureka or whatever you have at home. I'm talking about a vacuum of space. Emptiness. If you are there by yourself, how can you possibly practice the fruit of the Spirit? Do you know that in God's wisdom, it requires other people for you to even put in practice these things that he's calling us to do? So in the proof of his kindness, he's then provided us with other people who irritate us. Praise God for that, right? You can, you can, with a full heart, thank God for me this morning. I know that I am the sand uh, in your sandal. But hey, here's the thing. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you because that's how we practice and experience this fruit of the Spirit. So we as Christians must seek to live this out as we talk about then the practice of this kindness. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. There is consideration and concern, which makes up Christ-likeness, okay? So let me cover those with you. So as we practice this kindness can be seen in many ways, but the three are, firstly, consideration. Now, I do not mean, when I say consideration, I do not mean good table manners, although, yes, you should practice that. I have to get after my boys all the time, chew with your mouth shut. I don't want to hear your food. I just want you to enjoy it, right? So I don't mean that. I don't mean that kind of consideration. What I mean is, we who are strong, this is Romans 15.1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. What I mean when I say consideration is what the Bible talks about with consideration is to consider myself less important than you. And so when you call me at three o'clock in the morning, for whatever reason, I don't say, hey, I'm sleeping. I say, I'm going to be right there. And you do that too. And if you don't, then welcome to conviction. That ought to be your mental state when we talk about consideration. All of us in this room should think of ourselves as when we make the tables, I'm going to sit at the lowest seat of the table because I know everyone here deserves a higher seat. Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what Jesus did? He took off his clothes and washed their feet. I mean, this is consideration. Secondly, concern, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 26. He's talking about clothes and presentable body parts. God has so composed the body that some are presentable and some aren't so presentable, right? But he says that they give greater honor to the part that has lacked it. 
that there may be no division in the body, but the same members may have the same care for one another. And here's the part that I wanted to get. So 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is a heartfelt, meaningful concern. What I mean by that is, when you come here on Sunday mornings and you greet one another, and you say to somebody, how are you doing today? Be prepared that they may start crying. And that should be what you are looking for when you ask that question. And you should be willing to shed tears if that's, if that's where you're at and not feel like you're putting somebody out. If this is the body of Christ, this should be a place where when somebody asks me how I'm doing, I can honestly say to you, I am exasperated. I am, I am tired because I'm not sleeping in my own bed. I am exasperated by not being able to have my own stuff. Uh, I feel like I'm putting my parents out. I feel like I'm putting my in-laws out. You're supposed to say no, yeah, because I'm preaching about this right now. It'd be super convicting. Anyway, so uh, I feel like I'm putting people out. I also... I also feel bad about using this as an illustration because now it's going, to, it's going to have you guys feel like, oh, woe is pastor. Don't feel that way. I'm just trying to be human with you. Okay, so just pray for me. But, but, but here's my point with this. Are we really concerned about one another? Or am I supposed to just come in because I'm the pastor? Am I supposed to just come in and you ask me how I'm doing and I'm just supposed to be, hey, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing good. Yeah, I, I, I slept crappy. I don't have any of my own stuff. I had to go and get this and wash it three times because we're worried about mold and all that stuff. But hey, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Like, is that what you expect? Is that what we are supposed to do? Just put on a face and pretend? That's not what God wants for us. He wants for us to be real with one another. Amen. And what that concern, what that, so what that consideration, real consideration, what that real concern looks like is Christ-likeness. John 13, 14, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is what is meant by being Christ-like. I think so often we struggle with that and we're like, well, what is, what, you know, what does that mean? What simply means to think less of yourself and more of the other person. It simply means to put them first and their feelings and their emotions and their desires so long as they also are biblical. We're not talking about, hey, what the world says and we just got to celebrate that and accept that and herald that because, well, that's being Christ-like. That's garbage. That's, that's, that's garbage. But we can still be loving and truthful even though we give the truth. We can give the truth in love. We, we don't have to be jerks about it either. I struggle with that. I know. Maybe you do too. I don't know. But. So let's move on to the final head of today's message. Goodness. Okay? Goodness. Uh, this is generosity. Uh, this, of course, the source of all goodness. Where is that? Supernatural. It's not us, right? It has to be God. He is the supernatural goodness source. We know this by the person of goodness who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which we already talked about, right? But Psalm 34, 8 tells us, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 25, 8 says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There is no good except for God. And he was you know, he was telling them basically, if you think I'm good, then you're saying that I'm, I'm God, right? And so Jesus is good. This goodness is Christ incarnate. This person of goodness invites us into the place of goodness, which is heaven, of course. 
into fellowship with him. It's heaven, and this place of goodness is heaven, yes, but it's also, believe it or not, it's the cross, because that's where he secured our goodness, the goodness that he has that he's then given to us. And so the third, or the second part of this, so this experience to express supernatural goodness in ourselves, as we talked about, is sensible goodness, which is practical. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. I'm going to say that again. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. Maybe think about memorizing that. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do good to one another and to everyone. So that means when your teenage kid slams the door, you do not repay evil for evil, but you seek to do good. That means when your spouse cusses at you because you did something that you do not repay evil for evil, but you seek to do good. It means when your boss calls you in again for more hours for the third time this week, that you do not talk bad about them behind their back, you do not repay evil for evil, but you seek to do good. Now the deal is, is I'm not telling you all to be doormats, but I am telling you there's got to be a balance here. So this is practical, practical, sensible goodness. For it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have been worthless. No one does good, not even one. He says that. So that practical goodness is also pitiable goodness. We should not judge the world, but we should be discerning of the world. And there's a very different thing there. I can discern what sin is. I'm not blind. I have scripture but it's not fair for me to then say, and there's no hope for them, and therefore I'm never going to give them the gospel, and I'm not going to show love, and I'm not going to show care or concern because they're just a sinner and forget about them because Romans says, that was me, but only for the grace of God. And we experience this sensible goodness through the power of prayer because what does it say that this is a spiritual fruit it's a fruit of the spirit we can only get there if we're constant in praying for that walk in step with the spirit he says and then lastly of course well i kind of stole my thunder there but spiritual goodness this supernatural goodness is a spiritual goodness in us that finds its ultimate fulfillment in a reflection of who christ is says in Genesis 1:27 so God created man in his own image in the image of God that he created a male and female he created them and 2 Corinthians tells us that we will all eventually with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another so you see our end goal here is that we would bring him glory do you know that I was having a conversation with my kids. Asher, who's very much like me, we were going through this, this Bible and has pictures of stuff. And, and it has, you've probably seen a picture like this. It's got like a, a golden throne with light seeming to like emanate out of it. And then a myriad of people, a sea of people out in front of this. And they're all kind of looking at the throne. And Asher's looking at this and he says, you know, is that all we're going to be doing? for all eternity is it just going to be like is it just going to be like one 
really long sermon like today's? Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it just going to be like just a forever like worship service just all the time, forever? And in his voice, I could tell there was disappointment. You know, he's like, it, he didn't say it, but what he, what he said was, because if that's all it is, that doesn't seem very fun. And if that's all it was, I don't think it would be very, very fun either. However, and this is what I told him, and so this is what I want to tell you, because that used to be my interpretation of it too. First of all, I don't think that's what heaven's going to be. We don't have enough time for me to go into detail with that, but rest assured, I don't think it's just going to be like a bunch of moths staring into a light all eternity, just, oh, I, I just, I don't, I don't think that's how it's going to be. I think I have good biblical evidence for that, and we can talk about that another time. But I can tell you this, and this is for sure true. If it were, if it were, it would be the most joy-filled, pleasurable experience you would ever have had and you would not even be able to describe it to your sinful self right now. That is how good, how worthy God is. So even if it was just a bunch of us standing, looking at him forever, for all of eternity, singing songs, it would be the best experience every single moment of all of eternity for you, so beyond your possible comprehension that our minuscule little heads would explode with joy, if we could even begin to wrap our minds around it. Yes, because we eventually are going to enter into that glory, and this is the beginning of the practice of that. So, all that to say this, patience, kindness, goodness, this is the fruit of the Spirit that we can only have as we keep in step with the Spirit. We are commanded to do these things. It is our joy, it should be our joy to do these things. And so I hope that today was an encouragement to you in looking at these three. And so next week, we'll finish up with the last three. But understand that garbage in, garbage out. So I want to encourage you, continue to study, continue to pray, continue to listen to sermons, not just mine, other better preachers. Continue to watch good Christian movies, Christian documentaries, read and pray scripture. Listen to it audible if you have trouble with reading. But continue to ingest so that we might be a correct reflection of what it is that we're called to. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. And we admit how hopeless and pitiful we would be outside